So, if you keep your Bibles open at 2 Thessalonians 2, you can check what I say. And I want to encourage you this morning in this talk, feel free to disagree with me. And if you've got any questions about what I'm going to say, you can ask me on the way out as well. This is a church where you can disagree with the pastor. It's okay. But do it nicely, please. Okay? Because I'm very sensitive. You would not believe how sensitive I am. So we're looking at a controversial passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and in the context of the second coming of Christ. So far in this series, I have sought to concentrate on the practical applications of the doctrine of the second coming. I haven't gone into huge details all the time about everything that will happen. I've noted them, as you know, but I've concentrated on how that affects us in our day-to-day lives. Today, I am going to be a little bit more doctrinal. I am going to explain more, and maybe some of the things need to be applied. You will need uh, to do that Uh, yourselves. And today we're looking at the signs of the times. And one of the signs of the times is the Antichrist. So we're looking at when the second coming is coming, one of the signs that we are to look for is the sign of the Antichrist. And I do it simply because 12 verses of 2 Thessalonians are dedicated to it. So I can't ignore it. Because it's in the Bible. I preach things that are in the Bible. And it's because they're there. And people who say, oh, these evangelicals, they go on about this, they go on about that. Well, if it's not in the Bible, you know, I'm not going to go on about it. But if it's in the Bible, yes, I am. Yes, I am. So I make no apologies for looking at this uh, doctrine. And I want to begin by giving you two things in the prologue, if you like, so that you can understand my thinking when it comes to the doctrine of the Antichrist. The first one is quite simple. We are dealing with one of the hardest chapters in the Bible. As I was looking this up in various commentaries in the seminary, I came across one written in 1914, uh, believe it or not, and the writer notes this about this chapter. This paragraph is the most obscure to us in St. Paul's epistles. I thought, oh, thanks. That's really going to be useful. But, you know, he's got a point. In other words, some of the things in this chapter I'm not sure about. I'm not sure how to interpret them perfectly. I'm sorry about that. And one of the reasons is, as I've said before, that Paul has already spoken in detail to the Thessalonians about this doctrine, and we don't have everything that he said. Let me prove it to you. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed 
at the proper time. Well, well, we don't know some of those things. So there is a bit of guesswork going on here. I hope I'm going to be as faithful to the scriptures as I can, but I've got to be honest. You can come out afterwards and say, yeah, you know, I'm not sure I agree with you here today, Pastor. That's okay, good, good, not a problem, not a problem. Sometimes we are too sure of certain things we shouldn't be so sure about. And as a result of that, we get into problems. The Christian faith has mystery in it. We don't get it all. And let me say this, we don't know everything about God. Those of you who listened to the Thursday broadcast from Red Rock, as I looked out over the sea there, it was freezing, by the way, let me just tell you, it was absolutely freezing. Brian, myself, was so cold, that's why it was a shorter talk, if you like. But one of the things I noted there was, you know, I don't understand everything about the sea. I don't see the whole of the sea, but the sea I can see is real. I can see the sea that is real, and I, let me tell you this, when the summer comes, I can go into the sea. I can go into it, and I can explore it and enjoy it, even though I don't know all of it. This is not in my note. I'm going offline immediately. Forgive me upstairs there. Don't worry that this is not written down. It's okay. But I saw a documentary this week about the sea. This is so off, but don't worry about it. And I'm just talking about a guy who decides to swim every day, to snorkel every day for a year in a certain part of the sea, every day. It's called My Octopus Teacher. Has anyone seen that? Oh, nobody. If you've got Netflix, go home and watch it, okay? And what he does, he gets to know an octopus. I know, I know, I know. This is not going to draw you to it. <laughs> you think, is this, is this, is this? It is utterly magnificent. He dips into the sea at the same place every day and visits this octopus. He gets to know not the whole of the sea, but a bit of the sea. But in getting to know a bit of the sea, he tastes all of the sea. And when we get to know some of God, we taste something of his greatness and infinite greatness and holiness. We do. So I'm not asking you this morning to understand everything. But I'm saying we can swim in the sea that's before us. We can dive down and discover what God has for us. We might not be able to dive as long as this guy could, but we can. We can snorkel. <laughs> now, I want to encourage you uh, with that fact. That has nothing at all to do with what I'm preaching this morning. <laughs> I was on the preamble to my sermon, and I said I was going to talk about two things. The first thing was, we don't know it all. That's why I went off the point. Second thing was this. I believe very clearly there isn't just one Antichrist. 
There are many antichrists. Let me prove it to you. 1 John 2.18. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the antichrist is coming, even now many antichrists have come. Couldn't be clearer. There's not just one antichrist. This is how we know it is the last hour. The Antichrist we're speaking of is the culmination of Antichrists throughout history. So this isn't something just to do with the future, it's to do with now. With the anti-Christian influences that are in our society today. We are reminded of this. So with those two introductory remarks, let's look at the passage. Let me re-emphasize. The culmination, all right? The culmination of things, the end time will mean there will be a final antichrist. There will be a final antichrist. There will be a rebellion, verse 3, instigated by the Antichrist. He is described as the man of lawlessness, doomed to destruction. He will clearly and openly be anti-God. He opposes and exalts himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, and even sets himself up in God's temple, producing himself to be like God, uh, the lawless one will be revealed. All kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders will accompany him and there will be an element of uh, deception. Verse 10, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing, they will fall under a powerful delusion so that they will believe a lie. These are some of the things that will characterize the final coming or appearing of the Antichrist. In other words, we could sum up and say that at the end times, there will be a powerful worldwide religio-political leader who will seriously attack the church and just after that, the second coming will happen. Okay? I'm just I'm trying to be as general as I can. Verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. He will attack the church. There will be a time of evil. But then when the Lord comes, he will be overcome. The church, as it were, will be saved at the second coming of Christ. But before that time, the church will go through that tribulation period. Many people disagree with me on this, and that's fair enough. And if you do, that's okay. That's fair enough. But man, you need scripture to find it. <laughs> because I believe very, very clearly that as church at the time, will go through these hard times that will be just before the second coming. Secondly, 
there would be the culmination of many attacks and antichrists. The culmination of many attacks and antichrist. I believe, as I said earlier, that there are many antichrists, beginning in the first century, as John said, as he said. Early Roman historians speak of some of the early Caesars and some of the later ones as pretending to be as God. So Augustus Caesar enrolled amongst the gods, says Tacitus, consented to be worshipped with temples and statues in his annals. Suetonius notes about the mad Caligula. Caligula was one of the maddest of the Roman emperors. And he was so mad that he made a horse one of the senators. He made his horse, literally. Yeah, you didn't mishear that, all right? He made his horse one of the senators in the thing. But he transported the statue of Olympian Jupiter to Rome cut off its head and put his own head on it. <laughs> All right. In other words, he himself wanted to be God. It's an early form of photo shopping, okay? And you find it in Suetonius, uh, book four and chapter 22, if you want to look that up. In other words, the many of the emperors were antichrists. If I was living during that time, I would have come to the conclusion that many of them were antichrists from what I'd read in the scripture. And you know, I'd be right. I'd be right. They were. They were. They were anti-church. They were anti-Christ. And they saw themselves as specifically divine. But we don't need to go back to the first century. We can look at the 20th century, if you like, and see antichrists in the 20th century. Some people call the 20th century the rule of totalitarianism. I had fun with this word, believe it or not, on Tuesday. I wanted a good definition of it, so I went to the Oxford English Dictionary and looked up totalitarianism. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find totalitarianism in the Oxford English Dictionary. It was amazing. There must be some reason for that, and I found other things, but I need to look into that, but that's besides the point. But when we speak of the 20th century, this is what we speak of, totalitarianism. Stalin, Hitler, Mao. And they persecuted the church, especially Stalin, especially Mao. Hitler, of course, didn't persecute the church as much. He would have if he'd have won World War II. If you read his table talk, he says, I will bury every priest. I will get rid of the church at that time. So if you're asking me, were these the Antichrists? I say, yes, absolutely. They were antichrists, Stalin and Mao, mass killings, churches destroyed. And some of this is still happening around the world. I've been rereading, I think it's my third reading, 
of Orwell's 1984. I know at least one of you has read 1984 in the last few months. So I'm rereading it. Oh man, you've got to read this book. <laughs> it is magnificent. I have given you good movies today, okay? Good documentaries, good recommendations. And this is a really great recommendation. How many of you have read 1984? Oh well, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I emphasize the need to read it because of its attack on totalitarianism. And it's not just an attack on the left, it's an attack on the right. It's an attack on any form of totalitarianism. He attacks Hitler in it, and he attacks Stalin in it as well, written in 1947. And it's really worth reading, really is. Some passages are hard to read, I accept that. But it speaks of centralised control by an autocratic ruler or hierarchy regarded as infallible. No area where the citizen's initiative is supreme. In other words, Churchill said, all opponents are liquidated. All aspects of life are ruled over. There is no free thought, no free speech. I really do believe that when the Antichrist comes, this is part of what you will see. This is part of what you will see. Old religious and social ties are supplanted by artificial ties to the state and to its ideology. Totalitarianism. And I am making a political statement, but it's against the left and the right, just in case you were thinking. We need to guard our freedoms. Maybe this is part of the application here. When we see any of this sort of thing, we need to guard freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from violence, freedom to vote. All these things are key for Christians because when these things are brought down, we bring in an anti-Christian rule. And the Bible warns us about the deception of evil. We always need to check the philosophies, the political views, the religious views of the day. You've got to check them with what the Bible says. Christians can be deceived. I don't like that. I'm a Christian. You know, I think, oh, well, I'd never be deceived. I like oil. Of course. Don't let anyone deceive you. Something those who are perishing, <laughs> whatever it is. You can see it better than me, okay? Powerful delusion. 1 Timothy 4. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deception, okay? And we must be careful. That's why we preach the Bible here. We emphasize the Bible time and time again. No leader is perfect. No political party is perfect. No church is perfect except this one. No pastor, oh, oops, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. <laughs> right. No church is perfect. No denomination is perfect. No philosophy is perfect. As I have said, 
time and time again from this pulpit, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. That includes me, that includes you, that includes your political views, that includes your religious views, that includes your philosophical views. We fall short. Hallelujah for God's mercy. For God's mercy. And I'm going off the point just quickly. Forgive me today. But I have just had enough. In the news, if someone does something wrong, there is no forgiveness. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that there is no forgiveness? I tell you, at one time the church was blamed for being pharisaical. Of knocking people, you know, being better than thou. I tell you, the media is worse. In politics, it's worse. I don't care what side you're on. It doesn't bother me. But if someone who's not even on your side, someone who's even on your side, makes one mistake, they are cancelled. Out. Out. That's it. That's the end. And this happens on both sides. And I'm saying this because in Christ, you do not need to be cancelled. In Christ, there is forgiveness. In Christ, you can have a new heart. You can be born again. You haven't got to live with your past. Your past is your past, having confessed it in Christ. Hallelujah! And I tell you, this is where the Bible needs to be preached today. Too many people condemning everything and everyone, not looking at themselves, excusing themselves. And when they see someone of the opposite doing something, it's, you know, it's no, no forgiveness. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that the thief on the cross is a story for today. Today you shall be with me in paradise. I am so glad that the publican prayed in that prayer. You know, he prayed, just have mercy. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. And God has mercy. Oh, I am glad. I am glad that the major thing in my life is the Christian gospel, not secular philosophy, whatever that might mean. I've gone off the point. But I don't care. There are false teachers all around us. I've talked to some of you about how easy it is to be fall, to fall to false teachers. I think of the, a book I read two months ago, Private Memoirs of a Justified Sinner by James Hogg. Brilliant book. Fascinating, fascinating, interesting book. Written by someone who'd lost his faith, believe it or not story of being deceived by evil but all evil isn't obvious i don't know how many of you've read the screw tape letters how many of you screw tape c.s lewis screw tape letters let me here's a recommendation a quick recommendation it's on the screen the, the audio version version by john cleese is marvelous <laughs> all right john cleese just fits into screw tape and in it, one of the devils says these words. The greatest evil 
is not now done in those sordid dens of crime that Dickens loved to present. It is not done even in concentration camps and labor camps. In those, in those we see its final result, but it is conceived and ordered, moved, seconded, caused and minuted in clean carpeted warmed and well-lighted offices by quiet men with white collars and cut fingernails and smart shaven cheeks who do not need to raise their voice oh. in other words lots of these things happen all oh, quietly nicely people just talk about it and the result is awful awful one of the great movies, I can't remember the name of it, it's about the Van der Sea Conference of uh, Colin Firth stars in it, 1942, the Van der Sea Conference that really prepared for the Holocaust. Hannah Arendt uh, wrote a three volume work on totalitarianism and she called uh, lots of it the banality of evil, the banality of evil. But I must go on, I must go on. Verse 7, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken away. This is the last thing I want to say today. The last question I want to answer. Who holds it back? <laughs> this is a big conversation. People argue about it. Lots of answers. Some say it was the Roman Empire. Law and order, the Holy Spirit, the Jewish state, proclamation of the gospel. Here I'm going to agree with St. Augustine fully. I don't always agree with him, as you know. But here I'm going to agree with him. This is what he said. I frankly confess, I do not know what it means. <laughs> so I think I'm going to agree with him. I don't know. I don't know. But somehow, at some time, this power of evil is held back. But one day it won't be. I don't know how that will happen. I don't know. But it will happen. And when that evil comes, it is the final just before the second coming itself. We live in a world that's evil. We live in a world of temptation. We live in a world that wants to deceive us. And we need to live good lives in this world. We need to see with biblical eyes in this world. And maybe that's the takeaway from this talk on the Antichrist. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we don't understand all these things at all. But I want to thank you. In the midst of evil, in the midst of our own evil, I thank you that we have an answer to being cancelled. That in you we are not cancelled. Having repented of our sins, we can be accepted in the beloved, in Christ, justified by faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Thank you, Lord, for that mercy that you give each and every one of us. Help us stand against unrighteousness wherever we might see it, in ourselves, in others, in philosophies, in theologies. Lord God, help us be true to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.